Hi, gorgeous. This is episode number 84 with the wonderful Marianne Thompson Frank. Hi, this is Marianne Thompson Frank, and you are listening to Heart Cells, podcast by Christine Slotsky. Enjoy. I'm so honored and excited to have our guest today, Mary Ann Thompson Frank. And before we dive in, please subscribe to Heart Sales Podcast if you have not already. And if you love what you hear, hop on over to iTunes and give it a rating and a review and tell all your friends. Because here is another amazing episode that is going to inspire you, that is going to uplift you, and that might leave you with a question, well, is there more? Can I achieve more in my life? Because Mary Ann Thompson Frank has achieved so much that you might be asking, well, is that all just one person? And yes, it is. So let me give you her bio in a nutshell. Mary Ann Thompson Frank is the president and co-founder of the Memosine Institute. She is a humanitarian, a conscious capitalist, a published writer, an internationally awarded winning sculptor, a human rights and environmental activist, as well as a social responsible investor and a frequently requested international speaker. And this is actually how we met because I saw her speaking on stage and I asked her to be a guest on the podcast because I was inspired and I hope to inspire you by her amazing achievements today. In 2018, she was presented with the Inspiric Award at the Harvard University and the Civic Pioneer Award at the UN, which, being one of the highest awards a female citizen of the USA can receive, is entered into the congressional records. So with no further ado, please welcome with me Mary Ann Thompson Frank. Well, I am so excited to have you on Heart Cells podcast today, Marianne. Welcome. Well, thank you. I'm excited as well. Yeah, I'm so excited. You are doing such an amazing work in the world. And um, I would say it's like by far more than just running a company, um, which <laughs> is already a pretty big undertaking for so, so many people. Um, can you fill us in a little bit of what you are doing at the moment and what your huge message is so people understand where you're coming from? Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, yes, I'm the um, president and co-founder of the Mimnesine Institute, and our whole focus is basically helping humanity to deal with the challenges and opportunities of an increasingly globalized world. And a lot of this came about because I grew up in a business-oriented family, and I realized people were talking about globalization in financial terms, but they weren't really looking at it in environmental terms, in terms of how you know we have such diversity of belief systems and cultures. And I started thinking to myself, well, if we're only looking at it from an economic point of view and not from a sociological and environmental point of view, then we have a lot of opportunities to really mess things up. 
as a species. And so we started saying, well, how do we bring those necessary discussions, dialogues, and start finding ways in which to find solutions um, and do it in a collaborative way? Because a lot of times it's not about coming from outside a community and saying, I'm enlightened, I have this solution. Instead, it's about, you know, you have the solution. Let's go through a process and let's explore and find it together. And that has now led us to establishing chapters in Japan, Israel, Palestine, in Mexico. In Mexico, we have two cultural centers, one serving the Tolteca, one serving the Mayan communities. In the United States, we have projects that um, have linked different uh, different ongoing pro um, existing programs and organizations together. So for example, in the North Texas area, we have one of the number one things fighting food waste um, in the entire nation. And that came about because we got area um, and interfaith leaders, imams, rabbis, priests to go from as many food pantries and homeless shelters as possible, take three years to interview them, which would never make a business cringe. They'd say, well, you do your due diligence and research beforehand. But in the nonprofit world, that was shocking. So for example, they went in, they asked questions, and then they found out that the biggest problem that all these food pantries and homeless shelters were facing was a means to store the food and a means to, to move it. And when they actually brought in those questions, people said, you know, you're the first people to ever ask us what we need. People just throw money at us. They never say, you know, what is it you want? What can make your service different? And so now just by asking questions and coming with an informed strategy, we've been able, for example, this year alone, by the third week of January, we saved more than $3 million worth of food that would have gone to a landfill. Instead, it went to the, those that were hungry. So, you know, that's just one example, you know, but whether we've done that or negotiating the first treaty in 300 years between the Hopi and Navajo Indian nations, it always comes down to the same thing, which is researching, finding all the different things that are contributing to the issue at hand and working with the community who are always the experts to find sustainable solutions. So that's what we've done all around the world. That's amazing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, even when we talk nonprofit, um, people often think that it functions in a different way, but like from the sales perspective, mm -hmm. it's the same. And that's why I'm so excited to have that conversation with you today. So no matter where people are and what they are trying to sell, it might be in their own business. It might be a service that mm -hmm. you know, it's not tangible. It might be a tangible product, mm -hmm. uh, but it could also be an idea. Yes, yes. Um, so what, what have you found um, is the biggest challenge when it comes to sales? When it comes to sales, um, one of the hard things, I think, especially for women, is really getting over the idea, that, Ooh, who am I to do this? Who am I to say I have something? You know, and really being able to say, you know what, I have value. And I like to liken it metaphorically to being an artist because, you know, I, I have been an artist and it takes guts to put something on the wall and say, this is worth your time and money. <laughs> yes. It takes guts. Um, I'm blessed to be a speaker and I've spoken around the world and it takes guts to go on stage and say, I am worth the next five minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes of you listening to me. Time's the most valuable commodity any of us have. So anytime you say to somebody, I have value that is worth your time and money, it takes a certain amount of audacity to, to make that assumption. But if you're really honing in with empathy and going, wow, you know, I understand where you're at. And as I like to tell people, 
empathy doesn't mean agreement. It means I'm trying to comprehend where you're at mentally and emotionally and literally, you know, um, in terms of your finances and everything else that's going on with you. And if I can understand where you're coming from and truly make that attempt, then I can use that information to see whether I have in my arsenal of things something that's of use to you. And if I do, then I'm actually providing something of value and a service to you by offering it to you. And when you come at it from that perspective, that it's not something that's egotistical at all. It may seem audacious because you're offering it out of the blue, but in reality, you are helping somebody else to empower themselves in their journey. And when you see it like that, you're offering a partnership and a collaboration with that other person that's going to further help them on their, their way of life, whatever their main project and passion is. So if you come at it from that point of view, then, you know, it's something that um, you're actually providing for somebody. And, and I think it's important to keep that in mind. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love it. I think it's super important because so often I see that people have these amazing, amazing gifts, these beautiful services that really make a difference in people's lives. But they still are in that mindset that when the other person says yes, that they are saying yes to them, that they are saying mm -hmm. yes to paying the price, so to speak, or <laughs> I always say investment. But what it really is, is that the other person they are supporting is saying yes to themselves. Mm -hmm. Because you know, without it, that, yes, there wouldn't be any change. Yes, I'd say break it down to make it real simple. If someone's building a house and they don't possess a hammer and nails and you own that, um, and you provide because you make hammer nails. It would be a simple thing to say, in order to achieve what you're trying to do here, you need these hammer and nails. And I can tell you that from my experience that they are absolutely necessary to the job at hand. If I break it down like that, most people would never say the person trying to offer hammer and nails is doing something egotistical. They'd say it's practical. The empathy was looking at the project and saying, this is what you need. Um, you know, the reality is saying, this is what I provide. So, you know, let's help each other out. When you break it down to that basic level, then people go, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> you know, but when we start filling it in with marketing, offer marketing, or you say, I offer public speaking, or I have a nonprofit service that can fulfill this particular need in society, you know, suddenly people go, ah, you know, but the truth is it's no different than the person, you know, offering a practical hammer and nails to the person trying to build something. I, I, we just get weird when we get into different nouns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I so agree. And I see that over and over again. And then, then there's like, like a, a really tiny well, or big distinction, like what can I ask for the hammer and the nail, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And so people asking their their price or what they really wanted to charge, that's, that's another um, huge challenge for mm -hmm. a lot of entrepreneurs because they don't know where to start in their mm -hmm. pricing, in their packaging. And um, that also throws them off the wagon. Mm -hmm. And I'd say that people have to also take a step forward and realize that in this increasingly globalized world, we're collaborators. We have to look at ourselves as collaborators. You know, we have a project that I've been working on within the MIMSI Institute called the Squad of a Box program. 
and in creating it, um, our goal is to try and bring, you know, um, higher level education to the poorest regions of the world that would normally have it. Well, you know, when you look at a program like that, are we in the business of being architects? No. Are we in the business of creating curricula? No. Um, what we needed to do is find people who are, are in the businesses and find collaborators to then take something that's going to be sustainable and scalable around the world in different situations. And that means sometimes our collaborators are for profits, sometimes they're nonprofits. So then you go in and you make a whole plan and you say, okay, well, what do I need to do here that ends up producing value for you? So for example, with our architect, Tanya Arialis Rodriguez, what we did with her is we said, can you donate your services to design the building? We're paying for the building, we're not asking for freebie, but we are asking for your services to design it. It ended up being something that helped lift her profile in her own country to such an extent that people from outside read articles about her and then they start investing in what she was doing and now she's on the board of major national international corporations and she's got a huge project that is you know creating condos a humongous condominium complex and she was able to point to her experiences with working with our project to secure those things so it takes nothing from her in terms of her owning that earning it and being you know, the qualified person to do it. But it does show that by going in and saying, let's find a way that does not make you um, have to lose anything financially, but lifts your profile so that people are aware you're there. And we will put in the money to lift that profile up if you do this for us. So that's an example. And what I try and explain to a lot of women who get very intimidated about the international stage and, you know, oh, I couldn't do that. Why not? You know, find a partner, look for active collaborations that are win-wins. And before you know it, you will be working on that international stage. And in today's world that's globalized, we almost can't afford not to look at the international stage. Yeah, yeah, I love that, to get the, to get the higher reach. Mm -hmm. So you seem to be so, so confident. Was this always the case? <laughs> you know, uh, no, of course, you know, and a lot of times, just like any human being, you know, you hear people go, oh, that's crazy. That's insane. What are you doing? No one's ever done that before. And what I like to tell people is the person who's telling you that, oh, no one's ever done that before. You're nuts. Don't even go after that. Uh, they're going to be in the same place that they were in 10 years ago. And 10 years from now, they're gonna be in the same place <laughs> that they are now. And if you fail, you've gone further than the person who's never tried, and you've gained knowledge. So attempt it, fail, attempt it, fail, attempt it, fail, attempt it, win. You know, that's just the nature of entrepreneurism. And that's the nature of anyone who has any idea throughout history that's made any significant attempt. You know, Galileo tried about six different things before he dropped the ball out of the Leaning Tower of Pisa. So, I mean, you've got to look at it and say, how do I fit into this world? Are other people already achieving what I'm envisioning? If they're not, well, then why not? You know, because no one's tried it. So don't mm -hmm. be afraid to be the first. Yeah. What kind of um, wisdom could you share around failure? Because often failure makes people feel really ashamed of Oh, plenty, job. plenty. You know, <laughs> I, I've had, um, for example, with the Scott of a Box program, you know, I went in and, you know, first of all, as a humanitarian, um, you know, 90% of my time goes to the Mimnesy Institute. But as a humanitarian, I don't just look, work with philanthropy. I work with social responsible investing. I work with conscious capitalism. Um, I work with activism. Um, 
to me, all of these are tools, just like philanthropy is. So when I look at a situation, I go in and say, which one is the appropriate one for the scenario that I want to impact and what kind of impact I want? Sometimes being a philanthropist isn't the right answer. Sometimes and many times um, it requires all those tools. And, you know, for example, with the Scrabble Box situation, um, I once invested a significant amount of funds in a uh, for-profit corporation that had an amazing model. Um, that was about delivering uh, education, free education. And by doing this investment, um, and it was going to make its money off of the advertising and other things of social, through social media. Through doing this, I thought this would provide access to higher level education through all of the school and the boxes that we would put around the world. And it turned out that the person in charge of that was basically a con man, and I got taken. And I, it was very painful. Um, but it was very expensive. And I had a couple of times um, later on the opportunity to regain my money. But if I did that, it would have left it open for other people to be taken advantage of. So I had a real hard ethical question. Do I recoup my money or do I allow myself to be a block in the road um, legally so that others would not be taken advantage of? And so it was an expensive lesson, but I took the financial hit. So, you know, because basically when I brush my teeth at night, I wanted to live with myself. <laughs> and so that was for me more important. But you know, that expensive, very expensive lesson taught me, okay, one thing, what are my values? They couldn't be for sale and I could sleep better at night because I didn't sell them. Uh, but what it also taught me was basically being able to scrutinize people better. Um, and that, you know, and I've had other people say, oh, well, I could have seen that from a mile away. Well, if you could, great for you. I did it. <laughs> but I became better at understanding because not everybody involved in that project was um, part of this, uh, the scam. There was only a few people that were doing the con. Uh, a lot of people who were very good business people were part of it. And in the process of working with them, I learned valuable things that then I was able to translate and to make into a real sustainable solution. So, you know, there are many, many times I failed. I've, um, as just an entrepreneur, you know, I wanted to launch a line of dinnerware. And once again, for me, it was hard with my ethics because um, people were manufacturing things in China. And unfortunately, if you manufacture in China, you're working with slave labor. And I didn't want to do that. And I've learned the hard way that in today's market, it's very difficult and almost impossible to compete if you're not going the route of slave labor. So for me, it's been costly sometimes sticking with my ethics. But on the other hand, by learning those things, I've now been able to invest in things like Dakia, uh, Women That Soar, and other investments, Christian Isles, Hair Care, and they're making money for me. So, you know, yes, you learn expensive lessons along the way, and it's painful. And I've always been someone that when I go in and I invest, I don't just invest my money, I invest my time, my connections, I become an active participant. So now that I've learned from those difficult lessons, it just makes me a better partner for people that are actually really making money for me yeah i i love that that view and and how you um just told that story so um going back to something that's really crucial when we do make mistakes and we all do we are failing for oh, yes right oh yes um even though it doesn't feel good um <laughs> what is what is the chatter that needs to go on in your mind about the situation situation where we know exactly well i screwed up on this one Mm -hmm. Why, why didn't I do enough research or why, 
you know, mm-hmm. didn't I do this? Or why did I listen to this person? And then we are going on and on versus chatter in our mind. Mm-hmm. And um, sometimes even beating ourselves up. So what do you think is crucial in that situation to be able to come out of it strong? Because at mm-hmm. the end of the day, oh, yeah. Yeah. the situation taught you something and you gained something that you have now to exactly. make yourself even more valuable or and collaborating with you more um, interesting or better or what whatever word you want to use um, for me when I look at it and I, I've dealt with those things the first thing I look at is what do I have in my hand if I can say okay well I'm coming away with having met these new people those are assets if I've come away with um, knowing that there's a, a need and that's quite often something that I do come, okay, well, people still need A, B, and C, okay? That's knowledge. I know exactly who needs that. If I can provide that, I can sell to that. Um, you know, you come away with knowing who potential clientele are. You come away with knowing who potential real collaborators are. You're going to come away with that every time. Um, and so if you can take those as tools, tools and go, okay, I can build toward this by that. Other times, sometimes I've been in situations where I've, uh, I, it's a matter of bringing a third person to the table and I've gone, okay, well, it didn't work with this original situation, but I still know the need is there. People who are knowledgeable can do this or here. And so a third person needs to be brought. Let me look in my arsenal and find who that is. And I find by making myself self-aware of that, it's kind of like a little alarm that goes off in my head. You bump into that person, you go, oh, this is who I need. Um, And you start planting it also in your circle. And so I've had people that have called me up, and and this happened recently. Someone called me up and said, Marianne, so-and-so, do you have anything that could and I guess because I'm connected, people just throw things out at me. Do you have anything that fits with this? <laughs> I have a friend that wants that. Um, and if you have it you know, there and you have those alarms ready to go off, you just you pick up on it and you start weaving it together. And right now, that's what I'm doing a lot of, um, both on my entrepreneurial side and on my nonprofit side. I'm doing a whole lot of weaving. But you can't do that and be in the mindset to be ready to make that happen unless you've set those alarms to go off in your head. Yeah. Yeah. I love the connection stuff. It's so magical what mm-hmm. the universe can bring to you by just by making a tiny decision. Oh, yes. And, and it's always there. You know, people talk about synchronicity. And if you want to encourage those synchronicities, you have to become self-aware and you have to put that alarm in your mind so that even when you're, you're out for having a picnic and your mind is nowhere near your business, But if you have that in the back of your head and someone just says, hey, I had dinner with so-and-so the other night and they had a guest and they're doing this. Really? (laughs) Can I meet them? You know, that's, but a lot of people forget that. And if you just have it, and it's not about working 24-7. It's not like you're only focusing on that because we need balanced lives. But if you just have that, you're going to be amazed at how synchronicity increases. Yeah, yeah. Well, for me, I felt like just being open and and going with the flow and allowing yourself to say yes. Mm -hmm. Um, I think when you're at the point where you really love what you do and you get so excited about it, then you don't have like, this is my business life. This is my private life. This is my whatever life. You have just one. And then when you have that picnic and somebody mentions somebody and, you know, it's just an automatic kind of thing because you're not compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. Oh, well, it's after five. So now (laughs) I 
here on my, you know, private exactly. life, uh, picnic kind of thing. <laughs> and, and I'd extend it further too, because what I find, and I want to encourage more women, especially to do this is, you know, I, I grew up in a family that was very, very powerful in terms of business. And I would watch my father and my uncles and they were always in sync with this and they were doing it for their associates and their friends as well. And, you know, that's how they create those old boy networks. And a lot of women and minorities often labor under the illusion that there's only room for one of us at the top and people need to get that out of their head. You know, that doesn't exist because if you empower people around you because, you know, because I've seen women go, oh, um, so-and-so would be great for that, but I don't want to let them know about her because, you know, what if I need this for one day? No, no, no. Get that out of your head. <laughs> you know, if you see some, an opportunity and it would be good for an associate of yours and you are the connector, you're going to make an impression on both ends of that, the person who needs someone and the person who's being connected and helped. And as you raise their profile, you're increasing the power of your own circle. And so that's how men have done it for centuries. And that's how women need to learn to be better at it as well. Yeah, I, I love that. I would love to go deeper. But this is, for example, this is something that I learned from the book, The Go-Giver by um, Bob Burke and um, John David Mann. Um, and it gave me the permission to connect. And I, sta I started to learn that I have a gift in mm -hmm. connecting people mm -hmm. and in bringing value to the table and you know making the world like a better place for everybody mm -hmm. um because learning that there is no such thing as competition per se because mm -hmm. we are so different and mm -hmm. have each our unique experiences and then we learn different things and like we mix it all together and then it's only there one person at a time mm -hmm. Um, and I, I love that. So what advice, um, I mean, you said for women to, to connect more, what, what have you learned on, on your own journey when you started to implement and gave yourself the permission to connect and to kind of pay it forward mm -hmm. to, to others um, and not keeping it in the, ha in the back of your mind for one day I might mm -hmm. this? Well, what I found is, you know, if you can make an opportunity occur for somebody, the power of that connection is going to be greater because you're already connected to them. That's why you know about them. And when you help them to achieve something that they've been wanting, you know, they wanted to be more on the international stage. They wanted to be recognized. They wanted a financial investment, whatever it is. And you can make them have that connection and you go out of your way to make that happen. It's remembered you're also perceived as being a more powerful person because you've helped two people or two corporations or two organizations to get where they need to go. So you've made a significant impact, not just in making the world a better place and all that, but you've made a significant impact in how people perceive you. And as you go further with that, then suddenly in those connections, as they start going higher and higher, guess what? Your circle is more empowered. So, you know, if you just hoarded it all in, all those people are down here and they're just stuck way low. And so, yeah, whatever, you know, they, they're good friends. Whatever. But if you help them grow, then maybe a year, two years later, when, you know, you need something, they're in an even better place to help you move forward. So I tell people, if you need a sociopathic reason <laughs> to help somebody, you're actually investing in your own um, circle of influence. So, but, you know, if you are someone who, like myself, moves from the heart, um, you find that uh, the opportunities that come out of that, uh, they are so amazing. 
for yourself and it feels good. It just feels good. Mm. And if you can feel empowered, not just from what you're getting in your bank account or what you're getting from your public relations, but if you can feel empowered by knowing, wow, so-and-so is really going up there and I had something to do with that. It changes your mentality. It changes your knowledge of your own self potential. And just that amount of feeling, um, and yes, it's an emotional thing, but that translates into energy. And you're going to find that you believe in yourself and your capacity to affect change and be motivated and to motivate others increases significantly as well. Yeah, I love that. What a beautiful ending for this first episode. I'd love to pick up on this idea um, of to empower others and, you know, kind of giving first um, mentality and also coming from the hard place. Um, because this is heart sales podcast, <laughs> so people come from that place and they they still listen because they want to find other ways to be um, inspired and motivated and how how to grow by staying in their heart by being mm -hmm. authentic and true to their values, um, but make a bigger impact. Mm -hmm. So um, before we we are leaving, let us know where people can find you. Well, you can find me the best place I tell people is Facebook. <laughs> Because it's just, when you travel around the world, it's one of the easiest, laziest ways to go, I'm doing this today. <laughs> yeah. um, so the Mimisi Institute is on there. Uh, Raksalaj Mayab, which is our uh, Mayan Cultural Center Outreach, is on there. Um, and our Toltec Cultural Center are on there. Food Source DFW is on there. And one of our programs, Green Source DFW, are on there. So um, if you want to look for me, you know, just Marianne Thompson Frank. I have both a public and a private uh, Facebook page. People follow both. And again, the Mimazine Institute. Just look at us on Facebook and you'll see the most up-to-date information. Yeah, wonderful. And I will definitely include it in the show notes um, and uh, give people the resources to just find you with one click. Wonderful. Well, thank you thank so, you. so much. And I'm looking forward to the next episode with you. Thank you. Appreciate it. What a wonderful episode, Gorgeous. The biggest takeaway for me or the biggest reminder was actually own your value. Instead of asking, who am I? Ask you, who am I not to? Because you provide so much value for the people around you, your clients, your family, your friends, that you really, really can own this value and you can step into doing what you love to do coming from the space of your heart and really just offering and having this wonderful thriving business. So I hope you were inspired by Mary Ann Thompson Frank because I was definitely inspired by all she is doing, by all that is possible and how you can actually step into the bigger vision of the, yeah, of the picture you are seeing right now. So I'm so looking forward to having her on for the next podcast episode. Make sure you are tuning in. Make sure you have subscribed to Heart Sells Podcast. And please tell all your friends because I want to share all these messages with as many people as possible. I do think they are inspiring and they do add amazing value to everybody who is listening. So let your friends know about this and share this wonderful podcast, Heart Sells Podcast. Have a wonderful day wherever you are and thank you so, so much for being here. Enjoy and tune into the next episode. Bye for now.